0: As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see this message. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner and tonight, I'm here with Sister Denise Runner, just the two of us tonight. Hey, Denise. Hi,
1: Rick. I'm glad to be with you.
0: You look good in your green. Well,
1: thank you, honey. And
0: your enormous earrings.
1: Yes, I have a friend. She designed those. Well,
0: you look really good, and I like them. Thank you, Rick. But Denise, we're here tonight, just you and me. Paul is in meetings. Joel's traveling in the United States in meetings. Maxime is busy in meetings, but Maxime will be with us tomorrow night. But tonight, you and I are going to keep talking about why we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But first, if you need prayer, please know that Rick and Denise Renner and our entire ministry believes in prayer. And when you reach out to us, we guarantee you, you will really be prayed for. If you've ever reached out to us before, you know that when you call us or send us an email, you really get prayed for. We believe what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, that if two of you will agree as touching anything, I'll do it, that my Father may be glorified. God wants to move in your life. It brings glory to the Father. And so when you reach out to us, we will intelligently and with faith, pray for your needs and God will answer us. So let us know how to pray for you. And remember that we're offering you right now in my series, 10 parts, called Why We Need the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's a revised edition. So if you think you already have this, you don't. Maybe you had the earlier version. This is jam-packed. The earlier version was just five. This is 10. It is just loaded. And it comes with the study guide. Denise, just before we began tonight, I was flipping through the study guide. Hey, this is a gift.
1: I know. Every it, one of them are.
0: It, it. I mean, it is such a treasure. It's like everything is just put on the table. All you have to do is pull up your chair, get your knife and your fork and dive in. It's all right here. And it will be such a blessing to you. And if you're in a church where you don't see the movement of spiritual gifts, maybe you ought to order and give it to your pastor. And there's also a book by the same title. Now, this book, Denise, it's not a big book, by the way.
1: Which that's amazing.
0: That's a victory for me to not write a big book (laughs) is really hard for me. You know, we're just about to make our autobiography available. Yes. The autobiography is called Unlikely, it's a thousand pages. But it's not just a story, (laughs) it's filled with teaching. But you know, it just pours out of me, I can't help it. But when I write a small book, I get so excited. And this book is 85 pages.
1: Eighty-five?
0: Every page, Denise. Every single page has a revelation.
1: Honey, my Cinderella book, is larger than your book.
0: I know, Denise, this is quite a victory. (laughs) That's amazing. This was a victory for me. But every page really has a revelation. And I wrote this book from a real logical perspective. You know, a lot of Christians, especially charismatic Christians, mm, it's easy for them to feel ooey-gooey or feelings. I'm, I'm really not like that. I'm real logical. I just can't change it. I can't help it. It's who I am. So when I looked at this subject, I looked at it real logically. Okay, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Many, many churches today, they're not in manifestation. Some they are, not many. That's the smaller percent. So why do we need them? Why do all those churches that no longer have gifts of the Spirit in manifestation, why should they accommodate them? Why do we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And you know what? they're not optional. We have to have them. And when you're finished reading this book, you will understand we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So please order yours today. And it'd be a great copy. Uh, Be smart for you to get a copy to share with somebody else. But last night we talked about the city of Corinth. Denise, did you learn something?
1: It was very good, Rick.
0: Why was it good? (laughs)
1: Well, home group, first of all, I want to say welcome because I haven't gotten to say welcome yet. Thank you. And also, if you're a partner with us, thank you so much. I mean, we you're doing so much all around the world with your giving and your praying, and we really appreciate you joining hands with us to help us. You know, what I got last night, Rick, is that if... How desperately we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because if more and more carnality and the decrepitness of society is around us. We need that relationship of the Holy Spirit, His gifts, His knowledge, His discernment, His power. We need everything that we can receive from Him to be a victorious, Spirit-filled, different from the world Christian. That's what I think.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. I'd like to know what you got out of last night. Write to me on social media, anywhere you want to write. Believe me. I read what you write. It's very important to me to know what you're saying. But I want to talk about the Apostle Paul for a moment. The Apostle Paul was a very intellectual, heady kind of a guy. It's one reason why God chose him. Because God knew he had a brain that he could use to write the New Testament. He was educated. He spoke Hebrew. He spoke Latin. He spoke Aramaic. And he wrote the New Testament in Greek. Most of what he wrote in the New Testament was all written in Greek. So he was a very brilliant, doctrinal, reasonable, logical, very heady kind of person. He just was. He was brilliant. And when he came to Athens, he found himself in a very heady environment. Well, Athens, of course, was filled with all kinds of idols. In fact, it was written that it was more likely to meet a god in Athens than to meet a person because there were idols everywhere you went in the city of Athens. But when Paul came there, he found himself in the central marketplace where he was arguing and debating with the Athenians who were philosophers, they were educators, they were mathematicians, they were scientists, they were very brilliant, and Paul easily moved into his head. That was easy for him. That was comfortable territory for Paul to do something very heady. He found himself in front of the Areopagus, which was the Supreme Court of Greece at that time. And in front of the Areopagus, he debated. He moved into his head. Well, in Athens, he was dealing with intellectuals. And so he moved into the head realm, and he made a mistake. There was nothing supernatural in Athens. He did not make room for signs and wonders. Didn't happen he just tried to convince them with his mind and because of that he had very little fruit you know it's really hard to argue with intellectuals because they always have something else to say they always have another angle they always have a reason to question what you're saying and it was mind against mind thought against thought and the bible says a few were converted including one area one member of the supreme court there was converted But Paul's fruit was very minimal. Brain power is good, but brain power is not enough. When Paul walked out of Athens, he was despondent. By the way, you can read all of this in my book called The Will of God, The Key to Your Success. You should order that book. But when he left Athens, he was very despondent because he felt he had flopped in Athens. What did he do wrong in Athens? He gave his best. He gave the best arguments you can give. And he did. He truly did. But brain power is not enough. And unfortunately, much of the church today is functioning in brain power. And I have this own tendency in my life. I can just float into my head and stay there. I have to really work on making room for the Holy Spirit. I'm just being honest with you. So Paul's walking from Athens to Corinth. It's a long, windy road along the sea. And on his way to Corinth, he's thinking about his flop, in Athens, what did I do wrong? He's thinking about it. Well, I didn't make room for the Holy Spirit. My arguments were good, but there was no supernatural proof to back up what I was saying. So when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul describes his thoughts. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> verse 1, and I, brethren, when I came to you, he's talking to the Corinthians, and the frame of mind he was in when he walked into their city for the first time. When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Well, Denise, excellency of speech and sophistication is what he had done in Athens. Now as he walks into Corinth, he's thinking, I'm not going to repeat what I just did in Athens. It did not work. It was a flop. So now he comes into Corinth and he says, I'm not going to do what I did in Athens. I'm not going to come with excellency of speech. Or show my great wisdom to declare the testimony of God. Verse 2, for I determined. He made a decision. We're not going to do brain power alone. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look at verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Verse 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why was he in weakness and in fear and in much trembling? And I can tell you, Mm -hmm. I can tell you why. Because when he looked into the eyeballs of the Corinthians, it was a pretty rank group of people, a city filled with all kinds of paganism and all kinds of supernatural activity. And Paul's temptation was to gravitate into his head. I'm just going to prove to them with an argument that they're wrong and I'm right and the gospel is true. That was his temptation. But he determined he would not do it. Instead, he said, I'm going to come with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power that their faith should not stand in my wisdom, in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul's standing there looking into their eyes. Everything in his natural character is being jerked back into his brain to do what he does. But he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He begins trembling, shaking. God, if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. I've already determined I'm not going to go back to what I was doing. God, I'm depending on you. He entered into a new place. He accommodated space for God to move. He said that your face should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he said, listen to this verse four, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and the power. I want to read to you what that word demonstration means. Are you ready for this, Denise? Mm-hmm. It is a Greek word, apodexos. It means to point at something, to draw attention to a thing, to show off to demonstrate, or to display. He said, I made room for the power of God to show up and to show off. He says that your face should not stand in the wisdom and in the power of God, the word power, of the Greek word dunamis, which describes explosive superhuman power that comes with enormous energy and produces phenomenal, extraordinary, and unparalleled resort Results. The word "dynamis" was the word which described a force of nature like a hurricane, a tornado, or an earthquake. It was the very word used to describe the full might of an advancing army. It pictures power that is impressive, incomparable, and beyond human ability to perform. It is the very word translated miraculous power or miraculous manifestations. So Paul made a decision. He wasn't denying his brain. We need to use our brains, but that's not enough by itself. In addition to really smart preaching, now I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do his deal. And Paul said the Holy Spirit showed up, the Holy Spirit showed off, did things that were beyond human imagination. It was like the power of God invaded, that's the word dunamis, invaded the city of Corinth. With miraculous manifestations, dunamis, like a force of nature, it was like a hurricane of God's strength came, like a tornado of God's power, an earthquake just shook up the whole city. And that is how the Church of Corinth was born. It was literally born, not in the head realm, but a mixture of good, solid intellectual preaching combined with a demonstration of supernatural power. That's how they were born again. Well, how you come into the church often determines what you think is normal. For example, when we started our church in Riga many, many years ago, that church was born in the power of God. Everybody thought that was normal. So that's what they expected. If you come into Christ in a very heady atmosphere where you never see anything supernatural, then you're never going to expect to see anything supernatural. The way you come in often affects what you experience for a long time. Well, the Corinthians came in, in this amazing demonstration of God's power, and they just thought that's the way it was supposed to be. Isn't that amazing? But hey, let's read another verse. Are you ready? Go to Second Corinthians Chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul also describes his ministry when he first came to the city of Corinth. Now, honey, you know, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is amazing to me because what he is going to describe is not described in the book of Acts. What we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about mighty signs and wonders, God's power showing up, showing off. If you read the account of when Paul first came to Corinth in Acts chapter 18. None of that is in Acts chapter 18. Which means everything that happened is not recorded in Acts, the book of Acts. There's just not, a, not enough space. There was so much happening. But Paul tells what happened. So now you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says in verse 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And according to this verse, when he showed up there to preach, did he preach brilliantly? Absolutely. All you have to do is read Paul's writings. He couldn't help but be brilliant. He was brilliant. That was his style. That's what he did. But he also knew he had to come with power. So he says he came in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. The word signs is the Greek word simeon a sign that verifies or authenticates a thing. Power needed to authenticate that what he was saying was the truth. In the Gospels, this word sign is primarily used to depict miracles and supernatural events intended to verify and authenticate the message. The word wonders is the word teras. Listen to this, Sister Renner. It describes an event that leaves one baffled, bewildered, astonished, or at a loss of words. It depicts the shock, surprise, or astonishment felt by bystanders who observed events that were contrary to the course of nature, miraculous events that left spectators speechless and shocked, baffled, taken back, stunned, and in a state of wonder. The word mighty deeds is again the Greek word dunamis, which describes the advancing force of an army. Paul literally says, when I showed up, signs took place. Miraculous activity that authenticated and attested and verified that what I was saying was the truth. Number two, wonders. He said those signs were so miraculous it left people aghast, baffled, speechless, bewildered. They'd never seen anything like it. Then he described them as mighty deeds, the word dunamis. It was his way of saying it really was like heaven's power, like an army invaded Corinth. It was a hurricane. It was a tornado. It was a spiritual earthquake that shook everything up. That's how the gospel came to Corinth. And that's how the people got saved. So when they came into the church, guess what they thought was normal? They thought signs and wonders and mighty deeds were the way it was supposed to happen. They were open to it and guess what? What you believe is what you receive. We grew up as cessationists. We didn't believe in it. So whenever we saw it, you receive what you believe. That is just the fact Jesus taught that. They believed it, they expected it, they received it. The gospel came in eruptive force and it stayed there. That's what the people believed was normal, Denise.
1: Well, I'm thinking, you know, uh, the church that Rick and I grew up, <clears throat> they preached a very strong salvation message, and so people got saved.
0: It was very heady. Uh-huh. It was very reasonable, very logical.
1: But you never heard anything about healing. You never heard anything about signs and wonders. So we never saw it. It was a total mystery. And it was and it was shunned. So what you're preached about is what you receive. Receive. If, if If you're not hearing anything about healing or God's miraculous power or that he wants to heal your body,
0: you're not going to see it.
1: You, you're not going to see it. and And so we as ministers, we've got to press forward. And preached the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he ministered on the earth, he preached, he taught, and he did signs and wonders. And that's what we're supposed to do, Rick.
0: He preached, he healed, and he, and he healed. Yes, he did. He, he did it all. And we're suppo- And he lives in us. And we're supposed to do it. And, you know, what you preach will determine what happens.
1: Absolutely.
0: If, if you preach that these things don't happen, they won't happen people will come up to the level of what you preach. If you preach healing, you're going to see healing. If you get your hands out of your pockets, start laying your hands on people, you'll see people healed. It's all what you expect. It's what you expect. And by the way, when Jesus traveled and preached, Acts chapter 10 tells us exactly what Jesus preached. It says he preached, I am anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, I go about doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. That is what he preached. He brought people up to the level of faith and boom, the power of God. They got what they expected. Well, why don't we see the gifts of the Holy Spirit? People don't expect it. People don't see it. They don't hear it preached about. I'm not not coming down on pastors. Please believe me that I'm not. Pastors have so many... Pray for pastors. They are confronted with so much today. But I'm just telling you personally, the brain power is not enough. And I like brain power. Denise, you know me. I can just float into my brain and stay there. Just read my books like a light and darkness one to read all my books. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of intellectual meat in my books. And that's really needed. We have brains. They need to be fed. But our spirits are crying out to see things. And there's a great, significant part of the population who will argue with your arguments, but they will be convinced when there are signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And that's why we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Without them, we're lacking the verification that we need. The Holy Spirit comes to show up and to show off and to verify, to authenticate God's truth to us. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You've been trying to share Christ with somebody that's not listening to you? Huh, let a miracle happen in front of them. Suddenly, they will throw their shoulders back and hold their heads high, and they're going to want to hear what you have to say. The gifts of the Holy Spirit do what we cannot do. Do your part, but let the Holy Spirit do His part too. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So order this. Order the series, order the book, most importantly, make room so the Holy Spirit can do His part that He wants to do to help you and to help your church.
1: Can I just give something really practical? Sure. If, if you're not used to just, you know, really talking to the Holy Spirit, listening to Him, just take some time in your day, 10 minutes, to just sit there.
0: One minute is a good start.
1: I don't, it takes me longer than one minute to sit there. Maybe have a pen in your hand or, and paper and just say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen. And it might take you a while to get all the worries and all the cares out of your mind, and to hear Him. But if you give Him room, He will speak to you. Amen. And also, Rick, I mean, little children. I've seen it in little children. They have their classes, and the teacher says, let's all be quiet and let's listen to the Holy Spirit. And little children will say, and they'll say, what did you hear? And little children will say, I heard Him say that He loves me. A little child five years old can hear him. We can hear him.
0: Well, we're out of time, but we're going to be back (coughs) tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, Maxime will be with us. And we're going to continue looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit and why we need them. And if you know anybody that's interested in this subject, tell them to tune in and join us for Home Group. Sleep well. We'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please like, subscribe, and comment so more people can see it.